Welcome to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. It's season 14 of the Sonic Summerstock Playhouse. Performing through the summer months, the Sonic Summerstock Playhouse is presented by the Sonic Society for the Mutual Audio Network and features producers and actor troops from the modern age of audio drama who recreate and reproduce classic old-time radio plays. The Playhouse endeavors to bring shows to a contemporary audience for the love of the medium and not in any intended form of copyright infringement of those classic radio shows. And now, we go to our host of the Sonic Summerstock Playhouse on stage now, Mr. David Alt. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and good day. If you're listening on the Sunday Showcase and Mutual Audio Network feed, I am your host for the Sonic Summerstock Playhouse, David Alt. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Can you believe we're already well into the month of July? Yes? Yes. No, nor can I. And this week, we're grateful to John Alcedek and the Suspense Radio Show Group as they provide us with a feature from American Radio's longest-running thriller series, Suspense. Of course, the hint is in the company name. (laughs) So, without further delay, please sit back in the finest vantage point in the house as we begin tonight's feature, Who Goes There? Tonight, we take pleasure in bringing you Suspense, a weekly anthology of notable melodramas from stage and screen, fiction and radio, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in Suspense. The place stank, a queer, mingled stench that only the ice-buried cabins of an Antarctic camp know, compounded of reeking human sweat and the heavy fish oil stench of melted seal blubber. An overtone of liniment combated the musty smell of sweat and snow-drenched furs. The acrid odor of burnt cooking fat, lingering odors of machine oil, and the animal, not unpleasant smell of dogs diluted by time, hung in the air. Yet somehow, through all that came another taint. It was a queer, neck-ruffling thing, a faintest suggestion of an odor utterly alien. And it was a life smell. But it came from the thing that lay covered with a tarpaulin, on the table dripping slowly, methodically onto the heavy planks. Dank and gaunt, under the unshielded glare of the electric light. 37. All here. You know the outline of the story back of that find of the secondary pole expedition. I've been conferring with second-in-command McCready and Norris, 
as well as Blair and Dr. Copper. There is a difference of opinion, and because it involves an entire group, it is only just that the entire expedition personnel act on it. I'm going to ask McCready to give you the details. Norris and Blair agree on one thing. What we found was non-terrestrial in origin. Norris fears there may be danger in that. Blair says there is none. But I'll go back to how and why we found it. To all that was known before we came here, it appeared that this point was exactly over the south magnetic pole of Earth. However, the more delicate instruments, especially designed for this expedition, detected a secondary effect. A less powerful magnetic influence about 80 miles southwest of here. The second magnetic expedition went out to investigate it. We found it, but it was not the huge meteorite or magnetic mountain Norris had expected to find. What we found had been there since Antarctica froze 20 million years ago. A spaceship. A spaceship? 280 feet long and 45 feet in diameter, the ship struck solid granite head-on and cracked up. It must have been ruined, but at least one of the passengers survived. It got clear of the ship, but the thing was frozen completely just 10 feet from the ship. We found it when we dug down to find the ship, and Barclay's ice axe struck its skull. Barclay, you're the mechanical expert. You tell what happened next. Well, when we saw what it was, I went back to the tractor and sent a call for Blair and Dr. Copper. When they came, we cut out the animal in a block of ice. As you can see, wrapped it and loaded it onto the tractor for return here. We wanted to get into that ship. We reached the side and found the metal was something we didn't know. Our beryllium bronze non-magnetic tools wouldn't touch it. Neither would tool steel. Even tried some tests with acid from the batteries, with no results. They must have had a passivating process to make magnesium resist acid that way, and the alloy must have been at least 95% magnesium. But we had no way of guessing that, so we decided to loosen the ice with a thermite bomb. The magnesium metal of the ship caught, of course, burning in a blinding inferno, with it burned secrets that might have given man the planets. What we're left with is that thing, frozen in solid ice. Blair wants to thaw it out for examination, but Norris doesn't believe it's safe. Norris is a physicist, of course, not a biologist, but he makes a good point. Norris fears that we may release a plague, some germ unknown to Earth, if we thaw something that has been frozen for 20 million years. Yet Blair's answer is that Norris has the case reversed that our life chemistry probably... Probably? <laughs> One look at the thing in that block of ice. I know. The thing is not earthly. It seems unlikely that it can have a life chemistry sufficiently like ours to make cross-infection even remotely possible. I would say that there is no danger. None whatever. Man cannot infect or be infected by germs that live in such comparatively close relatives as snakes. And they are, I assure you, much nearer to us than... that. Different chemistry be damned. That thing may be dead, or by God it may not. But I don't like it. Damn it, Blair. Let them see the foul thing and decide for themselves whether they want that thing thought out in this camp. They haven't seen those three red eyes and that blue hair like crawling worms. 
Hell, I've had bad dreams ever since I looked into those eyes. And Connet, you're on cosmic ray duty tonight, which means you'll get to play Watchmen. Won't you have fun sitting up all night in the dark, wind whining above and that thing dripping, dripping? <laughs> well... And what about a virus? How many diseases are there like rabies that attack any warm-blooded creature, whatever its body chemistry may be? So far, the only thing you have said this thing gave off that was catching was dreams. I'll go so far as to admit that I've had some too. And as for the rest, you have a badly mistaken idea about viruses. Rabies, for example. You can't get it from, nor give it to, a wheat plant or a fish, which is a collateral descendant of a common ancestor of yours, which this Norris is not. Well, thaw the damned thing in a tub of formalin if you must thaw it. I've suggested that. And I've said there would be no sense in it. You can't compromise. Norris, why did you and Commander Gary come down here to study magnetism? Why weren't you content to study it back in New York? I could no more study the life this thing once had from a formalin pickled sample than you could get the information you wanted back home. And if this one is so treated, never in all time to come can there be a duplicate. There's only one way to do this, and that is the best possible way. It must be thawed slowly, carefully, and not in formalin. <clears throat> that sounds right to us, I think. Only, uh, perhaps Blair ought to stand watch while his jolly little corpse is thawing. <laughs> Let's see that thing. Jesus! Blair, you damn log, wake up! What? Get up! Your damn animals escaped. Escaped? What the hell's the matter? The damn beast got loose. I fell asleep about 20 minutes ago, and when I woke up, the thing was gone. Hey, Doc, the hell you say those things can't come to life? Blair's blasted potential life developed a hell of a lot of potential and walked out on us. It wasn't... earthly... I guess earthly laws don't apply. It's a wonder the hellish creature didn't eat me in my sleep. We'll... we'll have to find it. You find it. It's your pet. I've had all I want to do with it, sitting there for seven hours with a cosmic ray counter clucking every few seconds, you birds in here singing night music. It's a wonder I got to sleep. I'm going through to the ad building. You won't have to. So it wasn't dead? Well, I didn't carry it off in my arms, I assure you. The last I saw, that split skull was oozing green goo like a squashed caterpillar. Hey, has anybody checked to make sure this isn't a cracked idea of humor? If it is, I think we'll unite in tying Blair's pet around Conant's neck like the ancient mariner's albatross. It's no humor. What I wish it were. I'd rather wear the... Well, I think it's been located. It blundered down the wrong corridor and landed among the huskies. 
God, look at it! Get clear. I'll hit it with the blowtorch. Barclay, get a power cable, run it somehow, and a handle. We can electrocute this monster if I don't incinerate it. I guess we're all here. Take a look. It looks as though Charnock isn't going to lead any more sled teams. Blair, what can you say about it? What is it? Those of us who are up near the bend saw the thing in action. What's on the table is the result. There is no life form on Earth that can live in Antarctica during the winter. But the best compromise is the dog. The thing found the dogs, and somehow got near enough to Charnock to get him. The others went wild, broke chains, attacked it before it was finished. What we found was part Charnock, clearly only half dead and half digested by the alien, and part the remains of the thing we originally found, only melted down to the basic protoplasm. When the dogs attacked it, it turned into, well, the best fighting thing it could think of. Some otherworldly beast, apparently. Turned? How? Every living thing is made up of jelly. Uh, proto-minute and minute sub-microscopic things called nuclei, which control the bulk, the protoplasm. This thing was just a modification of that, one we haven't seen before. It's as natural, as logical as any other manifestation of life, only in this creature, the cell nuclei control those cells at will. It digested Charnock, and as it digested, studied every cell of his tissue and shaped its own cells to imitate them exactly. The parts that had time to finish changing are dog cells, but they, they don't have dog cell nuclei. They have alien nuclei that were hiding under imitation dog cell nuclei. In time, not even a microscope would have shown the difference. Suppose it had had lots of time. Then it would have been a dog. The other dogs would have accepted it. We would have accepted it. I don't think anything would have distinguished it. Not microscope, nor x-ray, nor any other means. What was it planning to do? Take over the world, I imagine. No, it would have become the population of the world. <laughs> 
populate the world? Does it reproduce asexually? <laughs> it doesn't have to. It weighed 85 pounds. Charnock weighed about 90. It would have become Charnock and had 85 pounds left to become anything. If it had reached the Antarctic Sea, it would have become a seal or two seals. They might have attacked a killer whale and become either killers or a herd of seals. Or maybe it would have caught an albatross and flown to South America. And every time it digested something and imitated it... It would have had its original bulk left to start again. Nothing would kill it. It has no natural enemies because it becomes whatever it wants to. Are you sure that thing is dead? Thanks to Barr's electrocution device, it's dead and cooked. Then we can only give thanks that this is Antarctica in winter, where there is nothing for it to imitate, except these animals in camp. <laughs> us? It can imitate us. Dogs can't make 400 miles to the sea. There's no food. There aren't any birds to imitate at this season. <laughs> There's nothing that can reach the sea from this point except us. <laughs> Don't you see? It's got to imitate us. That's the only way it can fly an airplane and rule. Be all Earth's inhabitants, a world for the taking, if it imitates us. Good God. <laughs> it didn't know yet. It was rushed, hurried. Look, I'm Pandora. I opened the box, and the only hope that can come out is that nothing can come out. So I fixed it. When you weren't looking, I went out, smashed every magneto on every plane. Now nothing can fly! <laughs> he might come out of it when he wakes up. It all depends on whether we can convince him that thing is dead. I didn't think a biologist would do a thing like that thoroughly. He missed all the spares in the second cache. It's all right, though. I smashed them. Good. Thinking about what Blair said, imitate it may, but has, to a certain extent, its own body chemistry. If it didn't, it would become a dog and be nothing more. It has to be an imitation dog. Therefore, you can detect it by serum tests, and its chemistry must be so radically different that even a few cells would be treated as disease germs by the dog, or human body. Uh, Conant? Where's Conant? Here I am. <laughs> Are you? Huh? Am I what? Are you there? Are you Conant? <laughs> the beast wanted to be a man, not a dog.
think we're ready. Van, would you and Barkley please get Connet from Cosmos House? Right. He'll probably be glad to be back inside after being locked up in his cosmic ray shack for six days. I doubt it. Probably got tired of the way everyone kept staring at him. What about Blair? No. We should leave him locked up in East Cache. Blair's completely gone. He doesn't trust any of us. Won't even eat anything except from sealed cans. Given the opportunity, he would contain this... outbreak in the only sure way. Kill everybody and everything in this camp before a... or an albatross... or an albatross coming in with the spring chances out this way and... catches the disease. If things get too bad, maybe we should let Blair get loose. It would save us committing suicide. Except that the last man alive probably wouldn't be a man. Hopefully it won't come to that. This blood serum test should be conclusive. I've been injecting one of the dogs with small amounts of blood from Gary and myself for the past six days. By this point, it should be human immune. So if Conant is still human, the serum should react. If Conant is still human. <laughs> Lord, I wish you could see your eyes. Heaven, you look exactly like that gang of huskies around the corner bend. Barkley, will you stop hefting that damn ice axe? Conant, if you think you've had a hell of a time, just move on to the other end for a while. You've got one thing we haven't. You know what the answer is. Right now, you're the most feared and respected man in Big Magnet. But in a few moments, we'll all know the answer. Six days. Six days in there wondering if that damn test would lie. It couldn't lie. The dog was human immune. And the serum reacted. Conant is human. And the thing is dead. No. It can't be. Gary? Gary, for God's sake, come here! Tissue from the monster precipitates too. The serum test proves nothing. Nothing but that the dog was monster immune too. That one of us, you and I, Gary, one of us is a monster. McCready, you're in command now. May God help you. I cannot. I may be the one. I know I'm not, but I can't prove it to you in any way. Dr. Copper's test has broken down. The fact that he showed it was useless, when it was to the advantage of the monster to have that uselessness not known, would seem to prove he is human. I know I'm human. I can't prove it either. One of us is a liar, for that test cannot lie, and it... it says one of us is. I gave proof that the test was wrong, which 
seems to prove I'm human, and... And now Gary has given that argument, which proves me human, which he, as the monster, should not do. Round and round and round and round and round and... <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't have to prove one of us is a monster. It, it doesn't have to prove that at all. <laughs> if we're all monsters, it works the same. We're all monsters. All of us. Conant and Gary and I and, and all of you. <laughs> Thanks, McCready. Hey, that's right, McCready. You were on your way to an MD when you took up meteorology, weren't you? Yes, but it's been a while. Dr. Copper could be right. I know I'm human, but of course can't prove it. I'll repeat the test for my own information. It reacts to human blood, too. So they aren't both monsters. I didn't think they were. That wouldn't suit the monster, either. We could have destroyed them if we knew. Why hasn't the monster destroyed us, do you suppose? Elementary, my dear Watson. The monster wants to have life forms available. It cannot animate a dead body, apparently. It is just waiting until the best opportunities come. We who remain human, it is holding in reserve. Hey, would I know if I was a monster? I don't know, but there's one thing this damn serum is good for at that. Van, will you help me? The rest of you better stick together here. We'll be back in a few minutes. You've been gone nearly an hour. What were you two doing down in Dogtown? That monster is quite logical. Our immune dog was all right. We drew a little more serum for the tests. But we won't make any more. Why not? Can't you try the serum test with another dog? There aren't any more dogs. What do you mean there aren't any more dogs? They're very nasty when they start changing. But slow. That electrocution iron you made up, Barclay, is very fast. There's just one dog left, our immune. The monster left that for us, so we could play with our little test. The rest? McGreedy! The dogs must have swallowed pieces of the monster, and the pieces destroyed them. The dogs were where the monster resided. I, I was locked up. Doesn't that prove that- Sorry. Proves nothing about what you are. Only proves what you didn't do. Pat. Pat. We are helpless. Because we don't know enough. And so jittery we don't think straight. Locked up. Ever watch a white corpuscle go through the wall of a blood vessel? It sticks out a pseudopod, and there it is. On the far side of the wall. No dogs. It has to imitate men now. And locking up doesn't do any good. There's no other test? Copper was perfectly right. The serum test could be absolutely definitive if it hadn't been contaminated. Wonder how many of us are monsters. All the dogs were. We thought we were safe. 
somehow it got copper. Or you, Gary. At least one of you is a monster. Yet there's no way to tell. Both of you have even suggested actions contrary to the thing's aims. Dan, I think you've just given me an idea. Let's get everyone into the ad building. Van, Barclay, with me. There is a way to tell who's who. One that depends on a basic quality of the monsters, not on us. It's related to the behavior of Gary and Dr. Copper. How even though one of them is a monster, both took actions contrary to the aims of the thing. That leads me to think that any part of the thing that is separated from the whole becomes individual, formed individual in its own right, complete with an instinct for survival. Any part, even a drop of blood, trying to escape from a hot needle. Barclay, be ready with that electrocutor of yours. Van, suppose you be first on this. Human, I'd say. By the way, don't get too interested in this. We have welcome ones, unwelcome ones, no doubt. So be prepared. Van, you relieve Barclay at the switch. And now, I'll try to show you what I already know. That I too am human. Conant, how about you next? Barclay! At least we know it works. Conant was one of the finest men we had here. And five minutes ago, I'd sworn he was a man. Those damnable things are more than imitation. Gary? You're next. Gary. Fourteen of them. Fourteen out of thirty-seven. We're taking them outside. We've got fifteen smashed crates, half a ton of coal, and presently we'll add ten gallons of kerosene. We've dumped acid on every spilled drop, every torn fragment. We're going to incinerate those. Sounds like a good plan. I wonder... You haven't said whether Blair... Blair! We forgot him! So much else going on, and since Blair refused to have any contact with us... Even wedged shut the slot in the door we made to give him food through. Van, Barclay, Norris, we need to check out Blair. Blair's smokestack. There's nothing coming from it. It's 37 below. 
Blair! Blair! Shut up and hurry. He may be trying a long hike. If we have to go after him, no planes, the tractor's disabled. Albatross. First of the season, and wandering way inland for some reason. If a monster's loose... Won't come back. Shh. Listen. I can see through this crack. It isn't Blair. It's kneeling on something on the bunk. It's something like a knapsack, only it lifts. Van, Barclay, take out the door on three. I'll fry it with the blowtorch. Norris, back us up with your revolver. One, two, three! Making a break for it. No more. It didn't split. It had other things to think about. What was it doing? <laughs> Wise boys we are. Smash Magneto so planes won't work, rip the boiler tubing out of the tractors, and leave that thing alone for six days in his shack, alone and undisturbed. What is that? Not exactly sure. But I can guess pretty well. That's atomic power. That stuff to the left. A, a neat little thing for doing what men have been trying to do with hundred-ton cyclotrons and so forth. It separates neutrons from heavy water, which he was getting from the surrounding ice. Where did he get all- oh, of course, the thing couldn't be locked in. Or out. He's been through all the apparatus caches. Lord, what minds that race must have. The shimmery sphere... I think it's a sphere of pure force. Neutrons can pass through any matter, and he wanted a supply reservoir of neutrons. Just project neutrons against silica, calcium, beryllium, almost anything, and the atomic energy is released. That thing is the atomic generator. And did you notice what it was working on when we came in? Look, up at the ceiling. Some kind of backpack. Hey, it's really difficult to pull down. Anti-gravity. Yes, we had them stopped, with no planes and no birds yet. But they had coffee tins and radio parts and glass and the machine shop at night and a week all to itself America in a single jump with anti-gravity powered by the atomic energy of matter oh yeah we had them stopped and in another half an hour that thing would have left and we'd have stayed in Antarctica and shot down any moving thing that came from the rest of the world but the albatross do you suppose this thing almost finished? But how do we know? How do we know it wasn't infected? Or that it was the first albatross to pass over? We don't. So... We wait. Wait and see what happens.
So Ends Who Goes There by John C. Alzadek and Dana Perry Hayes. Tonight's story of Suspense. Suspense is produced by Blue Hours Productions and recorded at Melrose Music in Hollywood, California. Tonight's radio drama was adapted for radio by John C. Alzadek and Dana Perry Hayes from the short story by John W. Campbell. Steve Moulton was McCready, Damon Crawl was Blair, Rocky Serta was Commander Gary, Daniel Hackman was Doc Copper, Sean Hackman was Norris, Christopher Duva was Conant, Jeff Kirshner was Barclay, and John C. Alzadek was Van Wall. I'm Damon Crawl. Next week at this time, tune in again for another study in Suspense. Thank you to John Alcidek and the cast and crew of the Shadow Radio Show. Be sure to take one of their flyers from the lobby or check the Sonic Society website for notes from tonight's performance. Please join us next week here at the Playhouse for another Summerstock favourite production company as they begin their multi-week run with fantastic features. We look forward to, of course, welcoming Mr. Pete Lutz and his Narada radio companies to the stage. Until then, I'm David Alt, and good night from Halifax, Nova Scotia. And that concludes our feature this week for the Sonic Summerstock Playhouse. All productions, features, characters and scripts presented in the Playhouse belong strictly to their copyright holders and no infringement is assumed or intended. The Sonic Summerstock Playhouse is part of the Sonic Society and is a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network, where we listen and imagine together. Please join Jack Ward and myself next week at this time for our next grand performance feature. Summerstock Playhouse is on the air! Exclusively on Mutual, the Summerstock Playhouse is an annual celebration of old-time radio remakes by modern-day audio drama producers, each putting their own special spin on a classic program. Don't miss a single episode, Sundays in July and August, only on Mutual. Better living through audio.